1502 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading from Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26. Matthew 21, Matthew 5, starting with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. We will also uh, be doing responsive reading from the Catechism, question and answer 105 and 106. If I will read the question, please responsively read the answer. What does God require in the sixth commandment? My thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge, not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with a sword. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are signs of This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Len. We've watched the news at all in the last few weeks. Uh, we have seen lots of evidence of murder, lots of anger, lots of violence, lots of hatred. We only need to think for a moment about the attack in Barcelona the other day. Our stomachs churn. We're not quite sure how to process that type of hatred to drive a vehicle into a crowd of people. 
we only need to think for a few moments about what we saw and heard happening down in Charlottesville, Virginia, as racism and white supremacy reared its ugly head again and our stomachs begin to churn. I don't know about you, but I've had a difficult time trying to process over the last couple weeks the emotions that go with seeing such things. Seeing such hatred spill out in very public and violent ways. It's nothing new, of course. Some of us here were alive during World War II. Some of us have those memories in us from being children and seeing the violence and hatred that spilled out there. Some of us have seen it in other places at other times that we are no strangers to it if we have paid any attention to our world. There is brokenness. There is hatred. There is bitterness. There is anger. And it is all around us. And the temptation in these moments is to, to start pointing fingers and start yelling at other people. It's their fault. Read Twitter enough, you hear it's everybody's fault. You look and you watch and you see the anger at what's happened out there become an anger at specific people. And the hatred, instead of being diminished, tends to multiply. How do we deal with that? How do we as Christians enter into these conversations and into these realities in our world? We're called to be peacemakers. To be people who bring the peace of Christ. Where, where do we begin in all of this? What's striking to me is the posture that happens not only in the catechism but but in multiple texts in Scripture, including the one we just read about do not murder. It ends up taking a posture that calls us to actually, instead of looking at the world and getting angry at the world for the world's hatred, to begin by checking our own hearts. And want to enter us into that kind of line of, of thinking and line of engaging that's in scripture this morning and, and, and walk us through some of those spaces that get us into a posture of checking our own hearts. There is a, a place for outward response to the world and the way we engage the world and, and we're going to get to that next week. The next question and answer leads us to a, a, a posture of how then shall we live? But these two Number 105 and 106 call us first to check our own hearts. To have a posture of saying, Lord, it's me too. I'm part of this bigger problem in our world of so much hatred and division. And I got to start here. Matthew 5, 21 to 22, which Len just read. Let me read again. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
You know, there was a, a scenario in, in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 7, where the Pharisees came to meet up with Jesus, and Jesus' disciples were there eating, and, and the Pharisees noticed that the disciples were eating with unclean hands. There was a whole tradition there that, that before you could eat the meal, you had to go through a whole ceremony of washing your hands to cleanse yourself. It's actually some good hygiene there, Right? But, but they go through this whole religious ceremony and they're appalled. How can you be a faithful, God-fearing Jew and not wash your hands before you eat? And the Pharisees had their fingers out. Look at those hypocrites. Look at those people pretending to be religious. They can't be real followers of God. They don't wash their hands before they eat. They're all up in arms. Jesus' response to them is really pointed. And in fact, this is one of the spaces in Scripture where Jesus gets righteously angry. And he gets angry at the Pharisees and starts calling them white, whitewashed tombstones, essentially. They're, they're walking dead. They're walking around and they have a form of godliness. And this is what he ends up explaining to his, his disciples afterwards. He starts telling them, it's, it's not what you put in you that makes you, makes you wicked or evil or separated from God. It's the attitude of your heart. Here's what he says to them. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles for, files them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And we see in this interaction, the Pharisees were worried about what's the appearance of things, what's the, what's the formalities we have to keep in order to be godly. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're, you're looking in the wrong spot. What's the attitude of your heart? And Pharisees were all concerned about making sure that the whole community followed a certain pattern of religiosity, making sure that they all had everything in line. They dressed alike, they ate alike, they did alike. They only walked a certain distance on the Sabbath day. They had all sorts of rules and regulations that kept them together as a community. And they said, if we keep all of these, then we will be a godly people. Jesus is standing in the midst of the community and he says it's not about all those outward appearances that make you godly. It's about what's going on in your heart. And he's saying this to his disciples that in the midst of all that they're seeing and experiencing, remember in the midst of a very violent Roman occupation, in the midst of that violent culture, Jesus is saying to them, check your own hearts. You're concerned about the evil in the world around you, but recognize that all of those things come out of our own hearts. They're the condition of what's inside of us. And we've got to get at that. As I was reading this and, and reading the catechism, that image in there of the root of murder. Did you catch that? And I had in my mind the, 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 some of the toil I've done in the backyard to get rid of some of those pesky roots. That you dig them up 
and you think you got it and you realize that it snapped off before it actually got the whole root out. And three or four weeks later, that same pesky weed has grown up again. And you start digging and digging and pretty soon you've got to excavate a hole that's like this big and like this deep to get a little weed out that's like that thick at the bottom. But you've got to go all the way down to get it out. And that's what this text is, is actually inviting us to do. What Jesus is inviting us to do is say, if you're concerned about the condition of the world out there, start by attending, doing the hard work of, of pulling out the weeds of those same problems that are in your own heart. Get at those roots. What is God's will for us in the sixth commandment? I am not to be little hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Ugh. Anybody else feel their gut get kicked there? Whew. Not by my thoughts. Anybody here have a thought that belittles their neighbor? And I don't like sitting next to him. He smells. I don't like talking to her. She, she didn't brush her teeth this morning. It's just those little things, right? They seep in. They get into us. That level, that level. But they begin to grow. They begin to become things that, that it's not just belittling. It becomes avoiding. It becomes discriminating against. It becomes gossip and talking about. We can smile and say, God bless them, and at the same time, murmur and gossip about them later on. Not by my thoughts, my words, my looks, my gestures. We haven't got to anything that actually someone else could could really tangibly say, this is why I know that person hates me. <laughs> this is almost all internal already. How are we doing on this? How are we doing with the way we think about other people? What about uh, that attitude that we get that sense of hatred towards someone else? Or, or we start thinking about those insults? Or... Uh, where do we go? It's all-encompassing and certainly not by deeds. And I'm not to be party to this in others. I know not all of us are on the internet and all, not all of us use social media. But it's a place where this part is hard to practice because we want to like other people's insults. We want to we forward things that we read that that really dig into our own opinion and affirm our opinion over against other people. And, and so we pass along things that are, are biting and that tear down other people and that rip into their character. We're in a day and age where it's really easy to be party to the, these types of insults that other people are giving. We don't even have to do it ourselves. We just have to click. We just have to retweet it. We just have to share it. In this part, 
the root of murder, envy, hatred, angry, anger, and vindictiveness. Let's just take a moment with these four, okay? Envy. Envy comes about, we spent some time last year talking about the seven deadly sins. Envy comes about when we look at other people who are prospering when we aren't. And we look at them and go, ooh, I like that. Uh, they've got it and I don't. I, I want that. And it goes from there to go, I want to take that from them. That sense of envy gets to a point of, of getting to a point where you're jealous of the other person. And in fact, if it sits in us long enough, we start to get to a place where we want it taken away from them, even if we don't get it. Envy has that way of, of getting in and going after the things that other people have that we want, or the lifestyle they have that we want, or, or the the success they have that we want. How do we guard against that? The place of envy. What about hatred? I mean, most of us wouldn't say, I hate somebody, right? Most of us won't. Sometimes we get there, but most of the time we live in a culture that values politeness. And we don't quite get to that point of ever even allowing ourselves to say, I hate someone else but hatred often creeps up in those places where we recognize differences between us and somebody else and and we want to push them away or discriminate them against them because of that we hear it often around immigration and often around people of first nations heritage we often hear that here in our culture People who are immigrant are taking jobs from us. First Nations people are just getting all sorts of rights that they shouldn't have. Can't they just get over it? And we use that type of conversation and that type of thinking and it makes room within us for the seeds of hatred to be planted and to begin to grow. Anger. I personally experienced this one on driving, right? Someone cuts in front of you, and first response is you want a hand to go up, or you want to say something out loud, or someone, someone's driving really slow, and you're late, and you want to get around them, and that sense of, can't they hurry up? And it starts spilling out, and it can spill out in words, and it can spill out in attitudes and facial expressions. And as you pass them, finally, you give them a little glare over your shoulder. All right, some of you are laughing, so I'm not alone in this. We have all sorts of ways that these little seeds, these little places where anger can get in, get into us in the day-to-day -day living of our lives. And your place where it comes up might be something different. But what this is calling us to is to pay attention to those little places where these seeds seep in and they lodge themselves in there and they begin to grow. Vindictiveness. There's an older translation uh, of the catechism that says that uh, talks about getting rid of the desire for revenge. 
That's what's captured in this idea of vindictiveness. A desire for revenge. They hurt me. I want them to suffer because of what they did to me. They hurt me. I hope they never succeed. I just, just kind of build up. It's this idea of tit for tat. They did this to me. Now I have a right to get back at them. Maybe it pops up at class, uh, for a classmate on a playground at school. Maybe it pops up in our work as we have someone who goes behind our back and, and takes credit for a project we were working on and they get rewarded and we don't. Maybe it pops up because of our neighbor, neighbor builds a fence, says something angry, gets frustrated that we accidentally stepped on the corner of their front yard. And they get angry at us and so we start playing that tit for tat. You did this, I'm gonna do this. And we justify ourselves. And we justify anger and hatred and enmity between us and our neighbors simply because they did it first. All these little roots. I don't know about you. I was reading these two things and, and spending time recognizing how right it is in naming all these things for us, this envy and, and the hatred and the anger and the, the desire for vindictiveness. My Lord, my heart's heavy. What do I do with this? I, I'm, you got me. It's not just the world out there that's full of anger and hatred. It's, it's in my own heart. It's in my own life. It's it's in the way I handle things day to day. I need some grace. <laughs> you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless to save ourselves, powerless to get these roots out of us, powerless to, to untangle ourselves from anger and hatred and vindictiveness and envy. When we were powerless to save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare, possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still full of hatred towards other people, Christ died for us. While we were still full of envy and bitterness and jealousy and rage and malice and slander and gossip and all sorts of destructive postures towards our neighbors and even towards ourselves, Christ died for us. That's the good news. Not that we've somehow got to go do the gardening of our soul and pull out all these roots ourselves, but that in the midst of seeing us filled with all these roots of brokenness and sin, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. To, to do that work of entering into our lives and, and freeing us from these things, these heavy weights, these weedy burdens that we can't untangle ourselves from. And Christ stepped in and got to the root of the whole problem. He pulled that sin out at its core, at its deepest part. 
He went into the depths of hell on our behalf and, and yanked out the root of our division between us and God and said, it is finished. That root is gone. You are now reconciled with God, your Father. And because you're reconciled with Him, it is possible now to be reconciled with our neighbors. It's possible now, because of what Christ does in, in His death and in His resurrection, for us to live at peace with one another, even with those who hate us. Because while we hated God, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. There's an old tradition in the reform uh, kind of movement that, that goes back several centuries that the week before you have communion, you have a time of reconciliation, a, a longer, heavier time of, of confession. Next week, Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion. And this morning, we're going to do one thing to prepare our hearts for that. And I'm going to give us an assignment for this coming week that will also serve to prepare our hearts for celebrating communion next week. So the first thing we're going to do today is, is actually in response to, to David's Psalm 139. And the highlighted green part I, I've emphasized before, but I haven't always talked about the context of that prayer where David says, God, search my heart. Here's what he says right before he invites God to search my heart. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. You hear David's anger. You hear him getting violently vocal in his prayer. But he's bringing this response to the world around him and the things he's encounter, encountering, and he's bringing it before God and saying, God, I'm giving you my raw emotion right now, and it's full of hatred, and it's full of anger, and I hope it's righteous. I want to think it's righteous. I want to believe it's righteous, but I know it might not be so Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in that way everlasting. I'm going to invite us to pray in the context of this passage to start with clenched fists in front of us so we can all close our eyes clench our fists in front of us. And I'll say a little prayer and then leave some space for you to pray quietly by yourself or if you feel so moved to even vocalize those prayers out loud. Alright, we'll start with clenched fists. God, we see the world around us and we want to yell at what we see happening like the, the, the violence in Barcelona this week. We want to scream out loud at the people who, who came with, with all the torches and, and, and the guy who drove his car into that crowd in Charlottesville. We want to yell at the violence of, of people who can walk into a church in Nigeria and shoot and kill people. And our hearts fill with anger, Lord. 
and we want to scream. And Lord, sometimes we want to scream because of the things that have been done to us that are closer to home too. And our fists are clenched and we bring those clenched fists before you this morning. Hear our prayers. Call us in your Lord, in your word, Lord, to be a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so we know that we were not made to hold anger in our hearts. We're not made to hold it in inside of us. And we want the roots of, of murder to come out of us. And so we turn our hands over and we open them up. We let fall off of us, Lord, all those things that are cluttering our minds and our hearts, all those places where we want revenge, where bitterness has resided, where hatred has filled our thoughts and our speech. Lord, we let them go this morning. Hear our prayers. One more time, Lord. We turn our hands face up, open, wide open, that we might receive from you the gift of new life, a life in Jesus Christ and only possible because of his death and resurrection, a life found in you and, and filled with your spirit. And we pray that you would fill us that you would take us out of the offensive ways and lead us in your way, your way everlasting. Fill us with new life in Jesus Christ so that we might be marked with the fruit of the Spirit instead of the fruit of murder and the seeds of murder. We long to be your people. Hear our prayers. We thank you for your amazing grace in Jesus Christ. Your abounding and present love through the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the one who not only makes us holy, but who makes us whole again. Make our hearts and our lives, our thoughts and our minds, our desires whole and holy, we pray. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. A homework assignment comes out of this Matthew 5 passage. Having searched our own hearts and begun to recognize those spaces where we have harbored anger and bitterness, we are also invited to seek reconciliation through Jesus Christ with our neighbors. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. 
then come and offer your gift. So this coming week, if we realize that there is something between us and our brother and sister, literally, if we have something between us and our brother or sister, if we have something between us and somebody else who worships here, someone that we work with, a neighbor, a friend, if there is something between us and them, then this week I invite you to seek reconciliation, to go before them and humble yourself and say, I am sorry that there has been so much division between us and I confess my part in it. Please forgive me. Seek that reconciliation even as Christ has sought reconciliation between us and God the Father. It's a homework that may be a bit challenging, but it's also a homework that ushers us in more fully to the freedom and the new life that God gives us and promises us in Jesus Christ. Invite us in this space then to stand and sing together spirit, spirit of gentleness.